0: I don't think you should look at life insurance like an investment. A lot of people say, well, buy term and invest the rest. No, don't think of life insurance as, as any type of investment. It's just insurance.
1: Welcome to the FI show, where you get a behind the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin.
2: Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, but I could not be doing this thing alone. So what's up, Justin?
1: Just getting back in the work grind of the week and getting prepped for them to send me on the road again, heading back to DC. What do you got going on, Cody?
2: That sounds like a lot of fun, man. And I know I've been talking about it the last few weeks, but we finally got our first round of beta testers in that side hustle course I launched with Jay from Millennial Boss. That's a gold city venture. So that's a lot of fun, man. Just trying to tweak it and get it as good as we can but let's kind of not steal the thunder from the show because this is a really, really information-packed show, and we are super happy to finally have an insurance expert on. So take it away, Sa'el.
0: So it all started for me back probably about maybe 11 years ago. My grandmother, she passed from ovarian cancer, and she didn't have any life insurance. And it was very hard for us because we couldn't really cope with her death and having to come up with, you know, $13,000 for a burial unexpectedly. And that's kind of where my journey started in realizing one, if you don't have monthly income to cover these expenses, you're pretty much going to always stay in a poor house. And two, a lot of people didn't know or understand the importance of life insurance, especially in the African-American community. Like it's just education and understanding of it wasn't there. So that that kind of put me into the journey of becoming a licensed insurance agent and starting to learn about finances and money and credit and things like that.
2: So I feel like you just took us through your entire timeline. So like what age did your grandmother pass? Were you cognizant enough to know a little bit about money or what was
0: that timeline like? I was like 20, 20 21. So yeah, I was I was very cognizant of it. I at the time I worked at GameStop. So I didn't really, you know, I didn't really know about money like that. You know, I didn't teach it in school. Part time, I programmed artificial intelligence for video games. So I did that outside of working. So money wasn't really a big thing as far as knowing about it. You know, I I just knew you had to work and you had to make money, but I didn't understand the concepts of finance, you know, the concepts of, you know, residual income or, you know, if you're an employee versus, you know, being an employer, I, I didn't understand that part of money. And then the
1: transition between like realizing that insurance is a big deal to actually becoming an insurance agent, what were the steps you went through to prepare yourself for that to actually become certified?
0: The funny thing is, is that becoming licensed as a life insurance agent is pretty straightforward, pretty simple. What I did was I went online, there was a website called ExamFX. I ordered everything online and I took the test, the exam. It took me like probably a week to study and it took me 30 minutes to pass the test. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty funny because like, uh, as soon as I passed the test, me and my husband, we both celebrated, he took the test with me. So we both celebrated that, you know, we passed the test and the same day, um, well in the state of Georgia, once you pass the test and you get become licensed, the only way they will issue your license is if you get appointed with an insurance company. So we got appointed with an insurance company. And we reached out to a few guys down in LaGrange, La Georgia, and that's kind of where the process started for me as far as selling life insurance.
2: And so in between selling life insurance and the job at GameStop, and you, it sounds like you already had like an entrepreneur background. You said you were doing some AI coding?
0: Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> in high school, I actually went to, um, I used to go to Art Institute of Atlanta. They used to hold the game developer conference meetings in Atlanta, Georgia. So I would go there and I would you know, just sit and talk to people. And my, my first book was C++ for Dummies. And I started teaching myself how to code. And in high school, um, I started working for a game development company called X Factory Studios. And I really wanted to make video games. Like that was a passion that I had. That was something I wanted to do. And that's until I actually started doing it. You know, once you get into the video game world, uh, you realize that, you know, those 80 hours of programming have nothing to do with your vision of where you want this game to go. They're like, yeah, I, I, I get what you want, but yeah, I need you to go make that, you know, that ball move around a thousand times or something. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. So um, that's kind of what pulled me outside of that. And um, I realized when I was programming and being a gamer as well that I wanted to be rich. Like that's, that's in my mind at the time, that's the concept I understood it as being rich. I just wanted to be rich. I didn't want to work 80 hours a day. You know, I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. And that also kind of pushed me into being more of the entrepreneurial spirit saying, hey, you know what, I can go into insurance and uh, really kind of bang out there.
1: Okay. So, you know, you talk about that, like you just wanted to be rich. And obviously, you know, this show is all about trying to help people either save money or increase their income, you know, getting to financial independence faster. But I think most of the time when we look at insurance, we're looking at that as just buying down on risk and not necessarily a way to accelerate our path towards financial independence. Is there, is there anywhere where that's true? Is there anywhere where insurance is actually a piece to getting you to retirement earlier?
0: Absolutely. A few things, health insurance, disability insurance, dental coverage, and life insurance. Those will be the most important types of insurance that you will want to obtain. In regards to getting to your financial goal faster, disability insurance is definitely the one that anybody that's an entrepreneur, self-employed, trying to obtain, you know, fire, any of that, anybody in those positions should have disability insurance. I often like to call disability insurance paycheck insurance just so that people don't get confused about what it is and how it works.
2: And so what is it and how does it
0: work? <laughs> yeah, going I <was laughs> say like that. I what's coming. <laughs> Leave it as hanging. So basically, disability insurance or what I like to call paycheck insurance is basically insurance for your income. And a lot of times we think that disabilities are going to come from accidents, you know, or you know, skateboarding and I you know, I have an accident and I become disabled. Well, that's actually not true. The most disabilities, I think over 80% of disabilities come from illness, right? So you get sick, you become disabled, you can't work. You know, what happens if you can't talk for three months? And, you know, the podcast is the only way you can make income. You know, what do you do when you're unable to work? What do you do when you're unable to have an income come in? And that's where disability insurance comes in. It's, it's, It's very important to have because you really don't want to be in a situation where you can't pay your rent. You can't buy food anybody should have it, whether you're employed or self-employed, you just want to have that type of coverage. It's so important to have.
1: So if I'm an entrepreneur and I just get like the flu for a week and I've got this insurance, is that something where I'm probably not going to meet a deductible and I'm not actually going to use that for the one week of work I didn't meet? Or you know, what's the likelihood that something like that, just a normal kind of one week sickness that you actually use that insurance?
0: So yeah, the way the, as far as the Exclusion period is sixty to ninety days, depending on the coverage that you purchase. So, when you purchase, a, and those are usually short-term disability policies. So, if you purchase a policy, it'll say, "Hey, if you're disabled for sixty days, it'll, the coverage will kick in." Or if you're disabled for ninety days, the coverage will kick in. Now, the shorter time period that you choose, the higher the monthly premium will be, because you know they're going to be paying you out sooner. And they go based on your annual income. So they're going to pay you a percentage of what your annual income is. And there are a lot of products that exist right now that don't, you know, they don't do like income doc checks, pretty much no exam, instant approval online product. So it's a very straightforward product. And I think a lot of us don't know enough about it. So we don't even know that it's important to have. I
2: literally didn't know what it was before you just talked about it. So I feel like that's something I (laughs) definitely, definitely have to check out.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very important. Like, it, I think a lot of us are so undereducated about the different types of insurance because it's so much, right? Like, you know, you, you listen to health insurance and, you know, people are like, well, what's the difference between, you know, a copay and coinsurance, you know, like, like just the, the basics of health insurance? And then you go to life insurance, disability insurance, long term care insurance. You know, it, it's just so many different products out there. I like to tell people, hey, you know what? You don't need to focus on all of that. You know, you really. Only Outside of health insurance, health insurance is something I think everybody needs. I'm a huge, huge believer in the one-payer system, only because I think it's ridiculous that the monthly premiums, I'm paying like $300 a month for health insurance, and it's not the best plan. So anything outside of health insurance, I think the main three you want to focus on is going to be disability, dental, and life. It might sound weird that I'm saying dental. Um, (laughs) I was just about to say that. I'm like, where does dental fit into this?
2: (laughs) I get a toothache so I can't podcast for a month.
0: (laughs) So, all right. So the reason dental is important is a few things. One, poor dental health can affect your life, right? It's attached to heart disease. They just completed a study that showed that gum disease is attributing to Alzheimer's. Wow. So, yeah, it's a, a direct link in gum disease which is amazing. And also as an entrepreneur, people look at your teeth. They look at your smile. They will judge you based on your teeth. And while we all look at it and we don't think that, it's just true. There's a there's a documentary out that the BBC created. It's called The Truth About Your Teeth. And they took a picture of this woman smiling. They took this, a picture of her with good teeth and a picture of her with really messed up teeth. And they showed it to people and they asked them, you know, what do you think of her? And with the good teeth, they were like, oh, she looks well educated. She looks fun. She looks like she would be good to hang out with. She's somebody I would marry. And the same woman with bad teeth, they said she looks like she smells. She looks uneducated. You know, I wouldn't want to work with her. You know, it's amazing, but <laughs> it's true. Right. Like, (laughs) I know it's funny, but (laughs) I I feel bad laughing,
2: but no, I totally see where you're coming from.
0: I'm telling you, people will really judge you for that. And one thing that my husband told me is that no one will ever give you a second chance when you have bad breath. Like if they experience your bad breath, they will never ever give you a second chance. <laughs> they will always be prepared that you're going to have bad breath when you come around them. No matter how much you change it, no matter how much <laughs> you change it, like that's something that I took from him and he's very big on, you know, dental hygiene. And I didn't know that much. You know, I learned about it over time how important it was. People just don't get their annual cleanings. They don't get deep cleanings. They don't do the the necessary things for dental health, and dental health can help prevent a lot of the issues that you have on a day-to-day basis in regards to your health. So that's why dental is very important.
1: And going along with like, you know, health insurance, is something like a health savings account something that you deal with as well?
0: Yes. Health savings accounts, they're cool. (laughs) My thing is, is this, the problem with health insurance, especially with people who are entrepreneurs and people who are self-employed is that, you know, we're cheap most of the time, right? Like we hate spending money on things that we think are completely unnecessary. Like that's the worst thing. Like, And health insurance seems like that. It seems so unnecessary. And it never turns in in our minds, it never turns into something that we need, especially when we're younger. But as we get older, it will become something that we need. And the problem is, is that when we're younger, it can, you know, bankrupt us, right? Like it can easily, like medical bills are huge, huge, huge things when it comes to bankrupting people. And that's one of the things that I always look at when I think about health insurance, it really upsets me because I'm like, OK, I'm me personally, I pay $300 a month. I have a $6,000 deductible. And it's like, OK, I'm paying $300 a month before the Affordable Care Act came into place. That $300 a month was getting me a, like a $500 deductible. So it's, you know, the the amount of, of money that's come in. It's, I mean, it's completely ridiculous. Like one place I can go up the street and i can get a cat scan for $200 but if the hospital does it it's $5000 it's kind of crazy you know <laughs> for the same exact thing <laughs> so i think it's a lot of stuff that they have to fix on the health insurance side and the only information i can give you and the only recommendation i can give you is that if you're a healthy person just go with a high deductible health insurance plan until you start needing you know until you get older and maybe you start needing you know more prescriptions and you want to get a different type of type of plan that'll cover you know more medical conditions but that's really as young people, you know, as people trying to get into fire, I say go with a high deductible plan because at the end of the day, you're going to maybe use it once or twice. If it's something that big of a deal, paying a 5000 or $10,000 deductible won't be a problem.
2: So I kind of want to dig in a little bit here because I'm sure you know a hell of a lot more about the numbers than I do. And so for people who are retiring in their early 30s, their late 30s, early 40s, whatever it may be, their income drops drastically. So I'm hoping you could just maybe talk to how the Affordable Care Act works and what some of those income limits are, where you can take advantage of some of that subsidized care.
0: So the subsidized care is funny because if you don't make enough money, you can't get it. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird. It's pretty funny because like I think it's like you have to at least make like anywhere between like ten to eighteen thousand dollars or something like that. If you don't make at least that, you can't get it. And then like if you make over like forty thousand, you can't get it. So it's for a very very minute amount of people that are going to be able to qualify for that subsidy so that it won't really help someone that's retired early (laughs) because they're still going to have you know income coming from somewhere you know in their 30s or 40s really won't help them that much
2: my entrepreneur brain's spinning right now though because there are a lot of people in this community who can live on between like 30 and 40k a year and if they're withdrawing that exact amount from their account I feel like that's one of the biggest hacks that you can use to kind of get the maximum subsidy from the ACA that absolutely. That right? If okay. absolutely,
0: if you can, yes, if you can prove that you should get that subsidy based on your income, absolutely go for it. Because it, it's a subsidy. Some, sometimes can pay up to a hundred percent of the premiums. So it won't be free insurance. It just won't be a cost to you, right? Like that's that's available.
1: And have there been any big changes with the new you know presidential administration coming in? I know there's always a lot of talk about the Affordable Care Act and changing and repealing and. But has there actually been any big changes that people need to look out for?
0: Yeah, the big change is the requirement that was taken away that required you to actually have to have health insurance. So part of the Affordable Care Act said, hey, you know, in order to make this affordable for everyone, we're going to force you all, pretty much everybody, to have to have health insurance. It's just like car insurance. Like, you have to have car insurance. You can't drive without car insurance, right? So it was the same concept. Like, However many people, you know, sign up, if we get everybody signed up into it, you have to get something. Then over time, the rates will go down. Well, the current administration actually removed that requirement. So now there is no requirement for people to actually have to sign up. So that's going to affect the rates. That's why the rates have gone up drastically and the coverage hasn't changed a bit. The coverage actually has gone down because the insurance companies, you know, they don't want to be on the hook for. Now they, they really have no way to to kind of confirm the kind of income they're going to be making on an annual basis because people don't have to sign up anymore.
2: All right. So I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here just because I'm kind of thinking back to the last question and it just seems like really messed up how the system is. You said if you're not making like at least $12,000, but if you are in this range, you get subsidies. So, I mean, just why is America like that where even if you had 2 million dollars in net worth and you just strategically pull 40k every year you can take advantage of the system so easily or someone who might be struggling who doesn't know the tax code and of the insurance code and whatever it is they're struggling just to make those monthly payments i mean i just don't even understand where the rationale comes from from the legislation
0: yeah i mean you know i look at health insurance you know being in it for for a long time as an agent for me I'm amazed at the the level of ignorance that doctors have with health insurance that the whole medical community has. Like, they don't even understand insurance. You know, I'll talk to a doctor and or, you know, I'll talk to the front desk receptionist and they're trying to explain health insurance to me. And I'm looking at them like, you don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> and that's a part of it. The miseducation of people is one. Number two, the second thing is, is that people are assuming that the, and the doctors, the doctors are charging for things that, They don't have to charge for. Like I said, if you come to one doctor, he might say, Hey, five thousand dollars to to run all your blood work. Where another doctor is gonna say two thousand dollars to run your blood work. But guess what? They both sending it to your health insurance company. They don't care. Health insurance company, they're charging you high monthly premiums because they're they're on the hook for, you know, if you have an 80-20 deductible or 70-30 or, you know, whatever it is, they are on the hook for that. So what's happening is that we're getting. All these different people, nobody's shopping around. There's nowhere you can go to shop around for a doctor and nobody wants to shop around for a doctor because it seems so personal, right? It's like, you don't want to tell 15 different doctors your personal business, right? Until you find the right one that's going to be nice about it. But it's ridiculous. Like you could actually literally go to your doctor and your doctor says, okay, we're going to do blood work. Your blood work, you need to go across the street to do it. If you go across the street to do your blood work, that facility is outside of your network and you end up paying a higher fee because it's outside of the network and it was right across the street and nobody told you that. You know, there are instances, this guy, he came into an emergency room and the doctor, you know, it was an emergency. What was he supposed to do? Say, no, don't do anything to me. Send me to a in-network doctor. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. The doctor worked on him and hey, he had to pay out of network, you know, so it's, it's so many things like that that make up the issue with the the whole thing of where people are paying so much money people can't afford it and the subsidies that are supposed to come in and help people it only helps a specific slither you know small amount of people and you know everybody else and you know in all honesty everybody else is screwed
1: So I think people like, you know, in 20s, 30s, we're all very used to new applications where you can compare things and things are more transparent. And you're used to being able to kind of, you know, know what you're going to pay for something before you get to that point. And I've also heard, you know, some of our guests talk about other countries where it's like a menu. You walk up and you know exactly what the prices are going to be. They're very you know, well displayed. Is there anything on the horizon where that's coming to the US where things are going to be more transparent? You know what you're getting into, you can compare doctors like a Yelp for doctors, you know, is, is there anything like that on the horizon?
0: The only thing that I've seen close to it is a place called Zen Doctor. When they first started, it was like a place where you can set appointments with doctors. This was a long time ago. So they might be a whole different company now, you know, they might have transitioned to something like that. And the only other place that I've seen that's coming out is a company called Decent. And they're going to be focused on uh, health insurance only for the freelance community starting out. So that's like the closest I've seen to any type of movement in the health insurance space.
2: Okay. And one thing I've heard, just a last thing on health insurance here is that Sometimes it's an option if you offer to pay with cash up front instead of going through your health insurance provider, and you can oftentimes get like a big discount. I'm not sure how true that is, but I have heard people say that they've successfully done that before.
0: Yes, that's that's very true. It's, it's going to depend on the doctor's office because those doctors don't want to wait for, you know, to go through the insurance and to get paid on. It. You know, they'd rather just get the money up front. So you definitely have the opportunity, you know, if you're going to pay cash upfront to get a better deal than you would if you went through your insurance provider. Because remember what I told you, right? Like, imagine, you know, if I came to you and I said, uh, hey, Cody, I need you to cut my hair. And, you know, my insurance company is going to bill me for it. So, you know, I don't know what you <laughs> charge, but I need to, you know, I need you to cut my hair. Well, you can be like, well, it's going to take me 60 days to get paid on this. Uh, I'll just charge his insurance two hundred and fifty dollars. You know, that's what they do, right? That's exactly what they do. So, like, they just charge whatever they want to charge. There's nothing to stop these guys. Like, it's it's ridiculous.
1: Okay, so we've done a we've done a lot of talking about. uh, (laughs) I mean, that is that is crazy. But we've done a lot on health insurance. But just to kind of shift gears a little bit and go to car insurance. You know, when I go through and I'm I'm setting up my new car insurance quotes, or I'm you know I'm looking for rates. There's like. 30 different little things that I'm toggling between, oh, I want to do $10,000 of this kind of insurance and $25,000 of this kind of coverage. And, you know, what about my passenger's insurance and all, and I know there's state minimums, but is there something that you see where people are kind of shooting themselves in the foot and leaving themselves open to a lot of risk by trying to, to save money? Like you said, we're all cheap. We're all trying to save a little money.
0: When it comes to car insurance, I think the most important thing that you need to do is one, you should look for, a new insurance policy every six months. Do not let them get you into the idea that your rate is going up for any reason other than that they're just increasing it. And the reason why I say that is because if you look at your rates every six months, they're going to increase it. It doesn't matter what happens. Like it doesn't matter how good you are, you're getting an increase. What I recommend you do is when you get that increase, you look at other competitors to see if you can get better coverage for the same amount that they increase that increase to. I do this very often. Um, One of the most affordable uh, companies that I found is Travelers. That's who I go through. They have very, very good rates. If you can go through like USAA, if you have an account with them, USAA is really good. I don't offer any of these products to these guys. I'm just telling you from my personal experience. And when it comes to car insurance, just don't purchase things in your car insurance that you already might have access to. For instance, If you have an American Express card, probably don't need to have roadside assistance on your auto insurance. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, pay attention Mm -hmm. to the things that you have available that they're offering you, you know, in car insurance and say, okay, well, I don't really need that. You know, you might not need. The most, you know, the the highest amount of comp coverage or collision coverage if you have your renter's insurance and, you know, okay, well, my renter's insurance will cover most of the stuff that's inside of my car. So I don't really need that to cover all the items inside of my car. Just kind of think like that. You know, what other things are covered? You know, because most of us have to have renters insurance, we have to have home homeowners insurance, and those things cover things inside. You know that we would maybe lose or get stolen outside of a vehicle. They'll cover those things. So that's really the biggest thing that I found that a lot of people mess up on is that they they add a lot of these little trinkets, you know, and they and they really don't really need all of that stuff. It can be attached to something else that they could probably even get for free.
2: So I'm just thinking on actually implementing this. Are there any good websites or I just feel like it's going to be a really big barrier that people aren't going to want to shop around every six months. Like, do you recommend getting a great agent or is there a specific website where you can compare like 30 rates at once or just what's your whole process there, I guess?
0: My whole process is to pick up a phone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my, you know, I know we didn't talk much about it, but my whole life insurance career, my whole business was done over the phone you know, when I first started, you know, it was 50 year old white guys, you know, they were in the meetings and I would go in there and I'm looking at them like, what, am I in the right place? And they're looking at me like, "Are uh, he in the right place? Like we are, you know, <laughs> there, there was this big gap with life insurance agents that no one between the ages of 30 and 45 existed in the life insurance industry. When I started, it just was extremely rare. Everybody was over 50 years old. So most of them told me I could never sell life insurance over the phone. And that's what I did for almost 10 years, I sold over the phone successfully. So I will pick up, I will call you, you know, Cody, you would have to literally say, stop calling me. So <laughs> I'm a phone guy. Like I will pick up and I'll just call them. I'll write down the, the companies and I'll just call them. And it seems like a hassle, but when you think about it, if they're, if they're raising your bill, $30 a month, I mean, it's a lot of money, you know, every six months it's going up. So, you know, I haggle over those small things because the small things are what really, what adds up on us.
2: Yeah, it's like what, a five minute phone call to save you three hundred and sixty bucks a year in your example right there? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean seriously, dude. Like I with my like even with my cell phone, I had two Google Pixels. I purchased them the Google Pixel One. I think they're on three now. It's kind of crazy, but they were seven hundred dollars each. I paid those phones off and I was paying I was paying two hundred and fifty dollars a month with Verizon. I paid those phones off. I switched to Metro by T Mobile and now I paid ninety dollars a month. For the exact same stuff. Actually, even more stuff because I get Amazon Prime <laughs> for free. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm al- always look for a deal. You know, don't you know, don't be afraid to go at it. Don't think oh, it's going to take too much time.
1: Okay. So, and you were talking about you know selling life insurance over the phone. I'm assuming you're probably selling term life insurance.
0: Yeah. So. My journey started door-to-door, doing door-to-door sales down in LaGrange, Georgia. We'd go knock on people's doors and say, hey, you sent us this postcard saying you want a life insurance. Here's the postcard that you sent back to us. You know, Can we come in and talk about life insurance? That's not what I wanted to do. I realized very fast, hey, I'm not interested in that. So I actually started selling life insurance over the phone. It was through a company called Baltimore Life. They were actually the only company at the time that was offering life insurance over the phone. And it was for a final expense product, which is pretty much focused on people between the ages of 50 and 85. It's a whole life product. And it's usually for people who can't get traditional life insurance because of health issues. So it has more lenient underwriting. So that's where I started. I ended up selling term life insurance, fully underwritten, and term life insurance, no exam products. And that's where I ended before I created Simply Insurance.
1: So I would love to step a little bit into just the whole life insurance debate, because that's something where on any of these forms and stuff, somebody brings up whole life insurance, everyone automatically comes in and just like starts to tearing that apart, like don't touch whole life insurance. But then as someone, you know, I think at some point in your life, you're going to be tried to be sold whole life insurance. You know, they come with things like, hey, it's a guaranteed 4%. It's uh, you don't pay taxes on the earnings. You can take loans out against it. It's a hedge against the market. I'm just curious what your take is on whole life insurance is especially in the framework of, or in the mindset of people who are trying to retire in their thirties?
0: Okay. So really, really good question, guys. So here's my thing. When it comes to whole life insurance, anybody that's doing what we're trying to do, trying to be fired, trying to retire early, whole life is definitely not the way to go. Now, here's why. A lot of people like say the things like, Oh, you can borrow your money. You know, you can borrow from the cash value of a whole life insurance policy. That's a great benefit. Well, here's the problem. It takes about 15 years to build cash value in a whole life insurance policy. OK, so what's going to happen during that 15 year time period? Are you waiting around for 15 years so you can borrow against it? It doesn't make sense. Right. And then on top of that, we're not buying life insurance for us. You're buying life insurance for the people that you leave behind. And that's, it's a big reason why a lot of people don't buy life insurance is because they're under the misconception that it's something they're buying for them. And, you know, I tell people all the time, if you look at life insurance differently, if you say to yourself, Hey, I'm not buying this for me, you will actually buy life insurance much faster because I don't know about you guys, but with my husband, if I go look for something to buy for him, I really, really like get into it. But when it's for me, I'm just like, huh, whatever. You know, yeah. he's particular, you know, yes. I'm, I'm not. And so, so if you look at it from that perspective, if you're start shopping for life insurance, you're like, oh, I got to get this for me. Then it really turns into the thing of, huh, huh whatever. It's no big deal. I'll, I'll get it one day. Right. But if you say, Hey, you know what, if something happens to me, what's, what's going to happen to, you know, my partner my spouse, my wife, my kids, you know, my whoever, what's going to happen to them? You know, if you're single, you know, cause people throw this out all the time. Well, what if I'm single? If you're single, somebody still has to pay for your death. So you know, who's going to have to come up with that money, right? That's what you think about when it comes to that. So the big thing with whole life is that it's extremely expensive on a month to month basis. Right now I have $2.5 million in life insurance. I pay $120 a month for it. It's a 30 year term. And there's no way I would pay $120 a month for $2.5 million in whole life insurance. i would probably be looking at fifteen dollars or $1,600 a month, right? And who can afford that, right? Like, not for just life insurance, I'm not going to afford it, right? Like that's ridiculous. not when there are much more affordable options out here. And then to the whole life thing as well, just to answer that question as well, whole life insurance is more expensive than term life insurance, but there is a term life insurance product you can purchase called a return of premium whole life in- um, term life insurance policy. Now return of premium term life insurance is more expensive than traditional term life insurance. However, It does exactly what the name says. It will return all your premiums to you at the end of the term. So if you live past the term, it's going to they're going to cut you a check for whatever amount you've paid on a monthly basis for 30 years. You're going to get a check. So I always call return a premium term a savings account with free life insurance, because if you die. Right. It's going to pay out 100 percent of the death benefit. If you don't die, it's going to pay out 100 percent of the premiums you paid into it. There you go. Right, so that is one of the best products if you can afford to get. A lot of companies don't offer it. There are a few companies that do offer it. You just have to look for them and just ask an agent if you're dealing with an agent. Hey, you know, do you have a return of premium product that you can, you know, talk to me about? I'm not sure why they're getting. Most of these companies are getting away from it, but it's just something that's another one of those things where if you're not educated, if you don't know about it, if you're not an agent, you probably never heard about it. Right. Like it's so that's
1: no, I man. i never yeah, heard So, of.
0: yeah. So, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's one of those things. But, um, I would definitely, if somebody's like, well, I want whole life and I want to make sure the money's there, I just be like, look, go for a return a premium term. You're going to save way more money. You know, I don't think you should look at life insurance like an investment. A lot of people say, well, buy term and invest the rest. No, d- don't think of life insurance as, as any type of investment, it's just insurance. And that's what a lot of people mess up with. They think insurance as an investment and they're thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's this big, strong, confusing thing. And I tell people, no, at the end of the day, when you think about life insurance, it's just to insure your life. It's to make sure the people you leave behind are taken care of. Don't try to make it into anything else other than that. That's when stuff gets complicated. That's when you end up talking to people about index universal life products and whole life products and annuities, it's just just way too much. For people like us who are trying to retire early, term life insurance products are going to be the best answer because you're going to be able to lock that rate in, especially if you're young, you're in your 20s or 30s. Go ahead and get you a 30-year term. Get $500,000 in coverage. You'd be shocked at how much $500,000 in coverage is. It's probably like 20 or 30 bucks a month. Like A lot of us think it's extremely expensive, but it's not. If you lock that in, that rate's stuck there for those next 30 years, and you don't have to think about it. And the best thing about life insurance is that if you get it now, you don't have to be married, but if you get married, you can add your spouse to the, as a beneficiary. If you have kids, you can just add them as beneficiaries, right? In 30 years, the, the the point of the term life insurance is that they're expecting us to become better, right? They want us to retire early and have, you know, more finances because they're saying, "Hey, however long of a term you get, at the end of this term, you should no longer need this amount of protection." Right, your kids should be twenty or thirty years old. Your house should be paid off or close to being paid off, and you should be in a much better position where you don't need five hundred thousand dollars in coverage. So that's kind of the idea of life insurance. It's nothing more than that.
2: So I have a bunch of specifics I want to run into, but before we do that, just I want to take a quick step back because I know a couple of years ago, I mean, I knew next to nothing about insurance. So could you just take like maybe sixty seconds on each side and explain what whole life versus term life insurance is? Just for the listeners who maybe don't know.
0: Absolutely. So whole life and term life. So whole life will last your whole life as long as you pay the monthly premiums. It's always going to be more expensive on a month-to-month basis than term life insurance. Term life insurance is life insurance that lasts for a specific term length. The term lengths can be 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. More recently, some companies actually go up to a 40-year term. So those terms at the end of the terms, the policies will have to either be renewed, canceled or converted. What I mean by converted is that some insurance companies will allow you to convert the policy from a term policy into a whole life insurance policy. Usually at the end of your term, the premiums will be way too expensive for you to actually continue to renew the policy. Because it renews what's on what's called on an annually renewable basis, so that means every year it's going to keep going up at the end of that term. So I recommend if you know if you are getting towards the end of your term, start looking for another you know twenty-year term or fifteen-year term if you're forty-five, right, and your policy's coming to an end. So that's kind of the big differences between the two. Truthfully, term is going to be more affordable on a month-to-month basis because the policy ends. Whole life is going to last for your whole life, and it's going to be way more expensive. That's the the simplest way I could put it.
2: Awesome. I think that's going to be super helpful just because like, honestly, a few years ago, I couldn't have gave you those definitions. (laughs) So I'm sure there's some listeners out there who maybe haven't really dealt with insurance at all. They just haven't thought about it. So that's definitely going to help them out. But one of the specifics I kind of want to dive into is with term life insurance. So do you have any kind of guideline for like what length of term or is there differences like locking in? I don't know if you could just get into the nuances of term life and what your best recommendations are.
0: So my best recommendations for especially people under 30, really under 40, go for a no exam term life insurance product. That should be like your first thing. And the reason why I say that is because no exam products are going to be easy, fast. You can go online, you can sign up for it, and you can get an instant answer. Like literally, I know of one company that I have is called Bestow, and they will—they can approve you instantly within five minutes, like up to a million dollars. <laughs> five minutes up five to a minutes? Min- Yeah, up to a million dollars. Instant decision, like you're either going to get approved or declined. It's not like some of these other companies that say instant, you know, instant decision and you click through and say, oh, well, you actually need an exam, right? It's not like that. You either get yes or no. (laughs) Um, And the reason why I recommend those products is one, we're young, you know, we like to do stuff online, we like to move fast, we like to get it done, and we don't want to think about it anymore. That's a fast way to do it. So go with a no exam product. My second thing is always try to go for 20 times your annual income. The reason why I say 20 times, most agents will say 10, but I say 20 times because however long your annual, however much your annual income is, whoever you leave behind, just think about it. Every year, that's the only amount they're going to be able to live by. So if you make $50,000 a year and you only do a 10 year term, I'm sorry, only do it times 10, then $50,000 a year times 10 is only $500,000. That means your family is only going to be able to live for ten years on that money. But if you got, you know, twenty times, they'd be able to live for twenty years on that money with your income. That's kind of how I like to look at it. Leave your family the ability to live off your money as long as you can.
1: So I had one question. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody doing this, and I know it will probably sound a little morbid, but is if you If you actually went, worked out a deal with, say, one of your parents, you're like, all right, I'm going to pay, you're going to get a 30 year term life insurance policy, I'm going to pay the premiums. And if you die, I'm going to be the beneficiary. And especially like when you're talking about one of these return on premiums, something like that, where, okay, now I know I'm going to get the return back. If you don't die in the term, if you do, then I'm going to get the payout. Like, have you ever heard anything like that, where someone is actually paying for someone else's premium, knowing that they will be the beneficiary?
0: Absolutely. I do that for my both of my parents because I explained to them that if they did not have <laughs> life insurance, I would not be showing up to their funeral. And I, and I And I meant it because it was like it's only like 30 or 40 bucks a month. And then, you know, for them, of course, it's a little higher. It's like 70 or 80 dollars a month. But it's still not it's still not something that you shouldn't have. It's very important when you're looking at life insurance. Life insurance has four parts. OK, guys, it has the beneficiary. It has the insured. It has the payer and it has the owner, okay? All four of those can be different. So when you're looking at a policy like for your parents, you would be the owner of the policy, so you own the policy. You will also be the payer of the policy because you're making the payments. And you can be the beneficiary, and then they would be the insured, okay? Now, the reason you will want to be the owner is because whoever owns the policy, just always remember this, whoever owns the life insurance policy is the only person they can actually make changes to it. So if your parents are the owner and you're the payer, they can make your brother the beneficiary. <laughs> and, and who? And wouldn't you be completely pissed if that happened? Because I know I would be, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> so uh, just remember, Um. but yes, that, that happens all the time. And also it's done for college students, right? I've had clients that call me and say, hey, you know, my kid's going to college. I'm a signer on their student loan. I want a 10-year term for, you know, Two hundred thousand dollars, and they get it on their kids because they want to make sure. Hey, if if you know if I'm on this loan and you die, I'm responsible for it. So, <laughs> you know, th- they do it all the time. So, it, yeah, it, it does sound morbid, but it's really just forward thinking.
2: And so, when you're getting priced for these policies, is it based on your age or is it based on the age of the insured, like your parents in that example?
0: Okay, so. Life insurance is everybody is underwritten on an individual basis. So it's going to be based on the insured's information. So it's based on their health, their age, their gender, if they smoke or they don't smoke, pretty much their medical history. That's what insurance is based on. So, you know, all things being the same, if you had a twin brother, same age, same birthday, all that stuff being the same. If he smoked, his rates are going to be 65 you percent know, more expensive than yours if you didn't smoke. So it's just based on, you know, the individual.
2: Okay. And actually I'm curious. So I know you mentioned them with bestow, you could get a million dollar policy in five minutes. I mean, who is actually checking to make sure that you put in the correct information? Like if you have stage four cancer and you say you're healthy and then you name your friend as the beneficiary or whatever, like who is actually back checking this stuff?
0: So there are two types of policies. There's one called fully underwritten and there's one called no exam. So no exam does not mean no checking on you, right? Like it just means you don't have to go through a physical exam from a doctor drawing your blood. So what they're going to pull is three reports that most of the no exam products pull. They're going to pull your MIB report, which is Medical Information Bureau. They use that report to see if, hey, have you been declined by any other insurance companies lately? If you were declined, why were you declined, right? They're going to pull that information. They're also going to pull what's called an Intelliscript check, which is a check for your prescription drugs. So if, you know, if you're telling me you don't, you know, you're healthy, but you know, you're taking chemo, then I know you have cancer, right? So you're, you're automatically declined. And then the, the last thing that they're going to check is your MVR, your motor vehicle report. They're checking that to make sure, one, you don't have any DUIs. They're checking to make sure you don't, you know, you're not a reckless driver. They want to check those things, you know, for lifestyle. So usually with those three reports, they can make a decision and make a very good decision. Also, there's another thing that, that happens is that every life insurance policy has a two-year contestability clause in it, Okay. So this means that during the first two years, your policy can be contested by the insurance company based on how you die. Now, if you die in an accident, there's usually nothing to contest, you know, unless you have an accidental death insurance policy. If you only have an accidental death insurance policy and you die within the first two years, they might contest it if you die in a car crash because they want to make sure you didn't have a heart attack first. Because if you had the heart attack first and that caused the car crash and you died from that, then you didn't die from an accident. You died from a natural cause. Oh, right? wow. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so the contestability part of it is if you lie and you pass away from something or you're diagnosed and you pass away from something, like let's say, for instance, you smoke and you put on there that you don't smoke. There's no way for them to check if you smoke or don't smoke, right? There's just no way to do it. If you pass away, they can check to see if you were a tobacco user and if your death was caused by smoking. Within the first two years, after the first two years, there's nothing they can do. But if this happens during the first two years, they can contest it and say, "Hey, you know what? We wouldn't have approved this person. Based on this, we're going to return all the premiums you paid into the policy." That's why suicides are only paid out usually within the after the first two years of the policy, because they can't contest your death after two years. So a lot of times, you know, if you see like on the movies and they say, "Oh, death by cop," you know, so the life insurance pays out. That's not real because insurance companies will not pay out if you die while committing a felony. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you if you die while committing any crimes, they will not pay out. So it's just something that, you know, people should think about.
1: Jumping into a, another kind of insurance for me, renter's insurance. That's one thing that I've come to learn a lot more about recently because I had a house fire and it covered so much more stuff that I wasn't even aware of. Like, you know, they put me up in a hotel for five months. They were paying for my groceries for a while, you know and i just wanted to mention that since this is an insurance themed episode that with stuff like that you know i found out that i could pay for all those expenses up front get all the credit card rewards and then let them pay me back is there any other kind of when you actually have to use insurance is there any other kind of tips that you have for listeners like what they should do when beyond just the purchase side but when it actually comes into that policy paying out that they should look out for
0: yes when it comes to the policy paying out or filing a claim It's very important to understand how your policy works. Just like you say, you didn't know all the things that were covered. You know, this fire happened. You didn't realize, hey, they'll cover your groceries. You know, they'll cover, you know, for you to stay somewhere and, you know, live off site until your apartment is back up and running or your home or, you know, whatever it was. The renter's insurance policy covers a ton of stuff. And it's really about learning what they cover and how they're going to pay out. Because like life insurance, they just send you a big check. Most renters insurance places will send you a just send you a check. And, you know, at the end of the day, you spend money on what you want to spend it on. It really depends on how your specific policy works. I mean, I've I've seen so many different instances where they will cover things. Some policies won't cover things. So it's very important just to learn before you file a claim, learn exactly what your policy offers so that you know what to file the claim, you know, and what to file it under. Like a lot of people don't know that if your electricity goes off and your food spoils, your insurance company will pay for that food, right? They'll pay for it. So yeah, because yep. you know, it's a covered loss, right? So it's all about learning about the policy. Read your policy in detail. That's the best advice I can give you when it comes to filing a claim is read the policy in detail and know what your policy covers. And if you don't know, even if you don't know and something happens, do not call the insurance company until you read the fine print. Know everything that's covered It's very important.
2: All right, so so just in the interest of time, before we hop into the final few questions, do you have any other words of advice, anything insurance-related for our listeners?
0: I would say make sure when it comes to insurance that you buy it based on it not being for you. Buy it based on being for other people. And that will allow you to really buy something that's not necessarily cheap, but that's going to actually put your family in a better position if something happens to you. That's the most important thing with insurance and buy it young and buy it early because you'll be healthy.
1: Okay. So, well, thanks for the deep explanations on the insurance stuff. I know that it makes a lot of people really nervous when they're buying the stuff. And then, you know, when it, those things come into action, they get really nervous about what did they buy. So I think the tips that you gave them are really going to educate them on exactly what to buy. But if they have more insurance questions or they kind of want to keep in touch with you, where's the best place they can do that?
0: The best place to reach out to me is simplyinsurance.com. You can go to my website. I built it so that you don't really have to talk to an agent. You can sign up online without speaking to anybody. And if you want to reach me, you can reach me at sael at simplyinsurance.com. And you can also reach me on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. Saire Amiel, and that's my full name. At you know at Saire Amiel, S A R E. A-M-I-E-L. And that's my pretty much my name for all of those.
2: Awesome. Well, we will link to that in the show notes so people don't have to remember any of the spelling right? or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm just curious before we hop on into the next question real quick. So you're the guy who loves talking on the phone, but you created a product where people can not talk to anyone on the phone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. So just like I saw in the beginning when I started insurance, just how I saw that, hey, people don't really want you coming to their house. I realized that, hey, I had more and more clients telling me, "Hey, can you just send this to me? Hey, can I just buy this online? Hey, can you just send me an online e-app?" So, I created Simply Insurance over two years ago to address that. So, Simply Insurance was created for us millennials, and you know, us five people who you know we know we know what we're doing. We self-educate ourselves. And we want to go on there and we want to buy for ourselves. So on my website, you can go online. You don't have to deal with an agent. You can buy online directly through my site, through the insurance companies directly. And you deal with the insurance companies moving forward. That's what people want. They don't really want to talk to agents. So that's what's happening. So I saw that it was happening. And that's why I created Simply Insurance.
2: Awesome, man. Yeah, I was just curious about that. But so the next question that we like to ask all our listeners is, what is your number one piece of advice for people on their path to financial independence. It could be insurance related, could be entrepreneurship, just anything
0: finance. So one thing that I like to say is that, that's very important to me. Um, This is what drives me every single day. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you get out of the bed and you shower, you brush your teeth, you maybe have a coffee, you know, look at your cell phone, you get on your computer, you watch TV, Just think about all the things you do when you wake up in the morning. And by the time you start your day, ask yourself, how many people's dreams have you made come true? Every single thing that you do is bringing somebody else's dream to a reality. Being on Skype is the dream of Skype. Somebody who created Skype dreamed that people would be using it. And now that we're using it, we're living their dream. So how can you go any day How could you go any day without living your own dream, without giving your own dream a little bit of time? We give everybody else's dream time all day, every day, not just in the things we purchase, but in the things that we do and the actions that we take. Right. Everything we do is connected to somebody's dream the headphones we use that we're talking to, it was somebody's dreams. The clothes that we wear, it was somebody's dream. So how can we invest in all these people's dreams and not invest in our own dreams? So that's that's my biggest piece of advice, invest in your own dream, because at the end of the day, you're already paying for everybody else's dream.
1: Love that. All right, Sal. So the last question of the interview is the one that Cody didn't prepare for. I didn't prepare for. So you certainly didn't prepare for. <laughs> it's our it's our wild card question. Okay. So the question today is we talked a lot about, you know, some of the craziness that is the insurance in the United States. So if you had to live in another country for the rest of your life and you could not come back to the United States, what country would that be?
0: It would be Japan. That was quick. <laughs> it would definitely be. Is there Japan. an explanation there? Well, I grew up as a programmer. I love Japanese anime, you know, and the whole culture, you know, martial arts, you know, ninjutsu, and, you know, all, all that. I, I'm really into the whole Japanese theme. So I would definitely. How's their insurance game? I don't know about ja- I don't know about Japan's insurance game. Yeah, like I, I don't know anything about it. I speak very little Japanese. You know, I can say hello and goodbye and you know tell you my name, but that's about it. But I would definitely move <laughs> to Japan. The only the only reason I say Japan though is because I couldn't say Puerto Rico because it's still kind of like the United States. You know, it's the yeah. United States territory. But you know, yeah, if, if yeah. that wasn't the United States territory, then definitely Puerto Rico. We're actually thinking about moving down there next year, actually, for tax purposes. So, cool. oh wow, awesome.
2: Well, who needs uh, a <laughs> who needs insurance in Japan when you have Goku to protect you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> all right, so uh, well, thanks again so much for coming on the show and just sharing all your insurance knowledge. I definitely learned of a lot of new terms and a lot of things that I frankly didn't even know that I didn't know about insurance. So, just thank you so much again for coming on the show.
0: Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for being, you know, proponents to insurance education. I think that's important.
1: Cody! This episode covered like all gamuts of insurance and was just a super helpful episode. I hope for all of our listeners out there. But what did you think about it?
2: Honestly, dude, I was surprised. Like, we came on and I was like, "Oh, this is awesome! We're gonna have an insurance guy on." I'm sure Sahel knows his stuff, and we just started hitting him with insurance questions, and literally, he wouldn't even flinch. Like, he didn't hesitate once. He knew everything about every single type of insurance. I really think that this episode is gonna deliver a lot of value to people who didn't know that stuff before.
1: Yeah, I mean. Silo's obviously a very smart guy. He's talking about working at GameStop, but then on the side, he's also coding for artificial intelligence, just casual. (laughs) And he also really cares about the topic because of kind of what got him into it with his grandmother passing away when he was 20 and realizing she didn't have any life insurance to take care of her. So I think that's another cool thing about this. You got a really smart guy who is doing this for all the right reasons. He's actually trying to get out there and look out for people.
2: Yeah he's not some slimy guy selling his grandma whole life insurance plans like all his friends and family. I mean, he's the real deal. That's what I really liked about having Saw in the show. And that's why we agreed to have him on the show because we knew this guy is part of the fire community. He knows he's thinking the same way we are. He even kind of calls out our faults. He's like, you know what? We're so damn cheap that a lot of people skimp out on some insurances that might benefit them. And they might not think that these types of events will ever affect them. But in reality people get unlucky. And if you don't have the right coverages and you don't have these insurance plans to back you up, you might kind of screw yourself over. And he also
1: covered some things that I don't think everybody's super familiar with and just clearing some things up. For instance, he's calling disability insurance paycheck insurance and kind of covered some of the things that you wouldn't necessarily think of. It doesn't mean that you can no longer ever work again. It may just mean that you had something happen to where your particular profession is interrupted for like 60 to 90 days and then he talks about this kind of life insurance called return of premium life insurance, which I'd never heard of. They kind of skirts that line between some of the benefits of a term life and some of the benefits of a whole life. So maybe that age old debate is just going to continue to, to reign.
2: Yeah, I Elders brought up so many good points, stuff that I hadn't thought about before, stuff that I didn't even know existed. One of the really important things was make sure you're not getting double coverage. In his example, he said, if you have an American Express credit card, you're probably already covered for roadside assistance, so you don't need to pay an extra premium to whoever for that roadside assistance. And there are all these other instances where you might be double covered through an employer or through a credit card benefit or some other extraneous circumstance. Just make sure you're not paying out of pocket for something you don't need to be paying for.
1: Yeah, there's definitely tons of stuff going on out there. I mean, I was obviously shocked when I had my house fire situation and all the things it ended up covering because I thought, well, I've only got this $10,000 policy and I didn't realize, hey, that $10,000 is only on the, the items inside the house. It has nothing to do with all the displacement. So there's a ton of things that you just, you're just going to have to go out there and do some homework on.
2: Plus, Justin, you were the ultimate hacker because you got like 2 million Hilton points by taking advantage of your renter's insurance. Just an absolute gangster out here. 2.4 million. Just let the record show. <laughs> 2.4 million, man. That's just like... Whoa. <laughs> what is it, Cody? It's a call to action, man. And I think this one is super fitting for the episode. Take a look at all your insurance plans. It's literally going to take you, what, half an hour, maybe an hour. Look at your auto. Look at your homeowner's insurance. Look at your dental insurance. Look at your health insurance. All these different things. And just look at the market and reevaluate. Even if you're saving $300 from a five-minute phone call, that is a super high ROI. Good luck finding that in the workplace. So pick up the phone, like Sael said, even though he's moving off phone. But pick up the phone, negotiate, find better rates, and just optimize all of your insurance plans. Yeah, that was a great call to action. And just don't
1: forget what Sile said, which is before you call to actually make a claim, know that information. So that way, not only do you know what's in there, but you kind of know how you should phrase it to them. It's not cheating, it's just knowing what's in your policy. And if you want to continue to get all this awesome insurance knowledge, go out there and find our show notes. We'll have all the links back to Sile and more detailed account of what all went on in this episode at thefisheo.com/sael. That's S-A-E-L, Thefisheo.com/sael. And as always, if you want to join the most inclusive financial space out there, go to thefyshow.com slash community and join our Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.
2: See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.